Computer, initialize Holosuite. And welcome to another episode of The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Perry. I'm your host, David. Tonight we're talking about Season 5, Episode 14, In Purgatory's Shadow. Before we continue, you can find us on Facebook, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and X as The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. Okay, so we may have run into slight technical difficulty there oh. right towards the beginning. Um, I do apologize. It seems like everything just kind of froze for a second. Um, so um, you can find us live. on the internet. You can find us on the internet. That's all yeah. I say. Yeah, you've heard it a million yeah. times. <laughs> exactly. So anywhere that you do social medias, you can find us. Anywhere that you ever listen to podcasts, you can find us. Just search the fire caves. That's what he was saying. Um, don't know where that's gonna how that's gonna sound when we actually go through the rest of this, and um, <laughs> you know when we release it later for the podcasting source, of course. But if you're live, you're getting it all. It's all raw. It's unrehearsed. This is us. Okay, so there you go. Now you know. If you, if you didn't know before, now you you do now. All right, so um, as David was uh, attempting to say, <laughs> we are doing the episode in Purgatory Shadow. Um, this is that that next part of the arc of Deep Space Nine that I've been angling for us to get to for forever. You know, with the from the time that Worf came on to Deep Space Nine, the way that the story has been ramping up to some of this stuff here has been um, this. This is exactly what it's all about. The next part of the show, five and seasons. The latter part of five, all of six, and then obviously the end in seven. This is it. This is the major stuff here. So we're we're finally there. Wow. So I'm really excited to get into this episode tonight because it is kind of heady. You know, this is this is the deep stuff. Okay. So um, before we do that, of course, I'd like to uh, always as always every week check in. So David, how has your week been? Week's been good. Um, so I finished reading uh, the Band of Brothers book this week. Uh, and been watching this show. Oh man, the show is so good. I mean, we already talked about that last mm-hmm. time, but um, got through you know, ten episodes. Got through the first five, so still halfway through. And you know, it's fun to watch the show after reading the book because I I know the show so well. I watched it so many times. Um, it's so the, the, when you read the book, there's so many things that like when they did the show, they did it really well. Like that that was in the book. Uh, they did condense a few things and embellish a few things so far, I can tell. But for the most part, it actually is pretty uh, reliable to the book, which is great because it feels authentic. Um, but one thing I also did is I, I watched uh, Saving Private Ryan as well because, you know, Tom Hanks, Steven Spielberg made Band of Brothers yeah. after they had mm-hmm. done Saving Private Ryan. And I realized that, you know, I I guess I hadn't seen Saving Private Ryan in so long. Like, I just didn't remember this, the story as well as I thought I did. I mean, I remembered it. But in my head, Tom Hanks' character, Captain Miller, was like another 
Captain Winters. Like, I thought he was just another Captain Winters. But actually, it turns out that Tom Hanks's Captain Miller isn't quite Captain Winters. He is more willing to be negative. He's dealing with more stuff. Mm. He's got some issues he's dealing with. But um, it's still a great movie. Fantastic movie. Uh, you can tell that they were... It turns out that Saving Private Ryan is actually inspired by... Well, it's it's in loosely inspired by a true story. In Band of Brothers, the book it does talk about how there was a guy who had three brothers, and they all died right around D-Day, uh, and they were all across different fronts of the war. And so, yes, his mother did get notified about all three of the brothers' death, and so the fourth brother was notified and sent home early. But there was no mission to go find him and send him home the battle at the end of the movie is totally made up. Um, but I, I was surprised reading the book. I was like, oh, wait a minute. I had no idea that that actually was true. I thought it was just something that they made up for a movie. You know, it was good, good plot. Um, but yeah, turns out that's at least loosely inspired by a true story. Um, and then the other thing I'm doing is been reading Masters of the Air. Ooh, there goes that. Uh, Masters of the Air by Donald Miller. Now, this is going to be the inspiration of the show Masters of the Air, as I mentioned uh, last week. And this is good a good book, but it's not got the heart of Band of Brothers. Because Band of Brothers, both the show and the book, are based about you know on, on easy company. It's limited to their point of view. It's about their uh, experience of the things that happened. Whereas Masters of the Air is about all of the bombing that happens in Europe for the five years of four or five years of the war. And while that's interesting, uh, it does mean that you don't get that visceral connection with a group of people that you get from band of brothers. It's not mm -hmm. as, uh, I mean, it's, it's very harrowing. I mean, to be very clear. It, it really talks about how like 80% of the men who were in those bombing missions in the first years of the war either died got injured badly enough they had to be discharged or had to, you know, parachute out of their planes as they went down and got captured by the Germans. So it was not a good time to be in a bomber during the war. So I'm really interested to see how the show uh, presents all that. Um, I do in the trailer. I watched the trailer again recently, having started the book and I was like, um, I think the language here is a bit stilted. <laughs> It's a very forced, you know, it's very, like, it seems kind of amateurish the way they're having these characters talk. You know, we're going to get our boys through it. You know, it's just like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> this seems a bit much, but we'll see how it goes. I'm interested in seeing if they uh, can pull off that magic of Band of Brothers again. But, yeah. Well, they they may do some, you know, some taking taking the liberty with some things there and, give you a couple of characters that they really build upon. I know that you're saying that there's a lot of other stuff, but I mean, it typically tends to be how stuff like that goes, especially when they recognize that, you know, it is that kind of visceral connection mm -hmm. to characters that really gets people um, interested right. and, and, key, and also keeps them coming back. You know? Right. So, and to be very um, clear, it does seem that, be, that seems to be the case because in the prologue of the book, there are two men that kind of get focused mm -hmm. on. And in the trailers, that's the same men that seem to have the most focus. Again, I don't know the actor's name, but the guy who was just in the Elvis movie, 
Um, he's about to also be in the Dune movie as Fade, Fade, uh, Rautha. That's it. Fade Rautha. Um, so he is in this and, uh, but yeah, that, those two okay. guys seem to have a, a place in the story. But, uh, yeah, part of the problem is, is like the, the prologue is started in 1943, but then like book chapter one goes back to like 1941. So you're like already got some like, whoa, like some whiplash, like the time frames of where we're at. And the book kind of does that at times because it, it's it talks about one subject and then it changes to a new subject in the next chapter and has to go back in time a bit. And so it's not as enjoyable as Band of Brothers was, but it's it, it's it's been fun to read the history because when you hear about the history, you go, oh, I can look mm -hmm. up this thing and you can go find the World War Two U.S. propaganda you know, the stuff they were publishing to get everyone to join up. You know, here's our bomber boys, and here's how they're doing their job. And the Memphis Belle, uh, B-E-L-L-E, -L -L -E, you know, like you know, dame or girlfriend, uh, was a the name of a film that they was named after a bomber plane, some guys who were in that plane. And for 40 minutes, you can see how they were kind of doing the propaganda version of what was happening. Because, um, of course, they make it sound a lot more exciting than it actually was <laughs> but anyway been fun read been interesting how about you what's new with you well um i you know as you know i've already finished um nemesis games and then i was going back through and just kind of like picking over stuff and going back and watching certain scenes from the show mm -hmm. from season five and um yeah i just realized that like while i enjoyed the book more i didn't really enjoy that season nearly as much. And and it is for the exact reason that I said, which I find so interesting because I enjoyed the book more, but it's because everybody splits off. But it's it's that reason that I was also saying, you know, because it's I like the way the team dynamic works, the way that they have really framed every person and how they relate to each other right. and why they work as a group. Right. Well, this book really highlights so well why they need each other. Mm -hmm. So um, obviously I can't wait for us to get into our discussion, which is coming up. Mm -hmm. um, we have a lot of things coming up. We have our After Dark for The Expanse. We have um, the first contact After Dark as well. And we have our contest announcing that we're going to be doing um, as well. So stay tuned for all of those things, just to throw all that in there really quick. Um, but again, like I said, I just, I really enjoy that show. And um, yeah. Uh, just to stay up on some other things too, um, Sheree Agdashlu, our lovely Christian Avasarala, has been posting um, little videos and snippets and stuff on her Facebook and Instagram from back when they were doing um, um, The Expanse. And she's just talking about how much fun she had with it and the amount of fun that everybody seemed to be having when filming the sets and everything else. So it's kind of like... It's like a weird backhanded teaser because she's like, oh, this was just two years ago. We were filming these scenes and whatever else. And I'm like, look, just go ahead and announce that you guys are back. Stop playing with my heartstrings and making me think that you're not coming back to do the rest of the show because you are. You have please to. Do. Uh, yeah, please do. Right. Like, what do I need to do? Yeah. I wrote, I, I faithfully wrote to Skittles every week for 11 years because they changed the flavor of the green Skittle from um, lime to apple. So if you think I won't take part in the campaign to get this show brought back, you are absolutely mistaken. I had no idea that even right. happened. Lime to oh, apple? Oh, yeah. When the, huh. 
when they when they changed it from lime to apple, it threw off because in the original packaging, of course, in the the original flavoring anyway, it threw off the whole flavor palette. You know, it used to be when you would you can get one of each in your hand, pop the whole thing in your mouth, and you were good to go. Right. But something about that green apple threw the rest of it off, and I didn't like it. Hmm. So without fail. Every week, I would send them like a series of tweets and stuff about how it was terrible or <laughs> some other reason why I wasn't going to buy it or how I had switched to something else or just wasn't going to have candy or whatever. I even did the whole where I had bought a pack, picked out all the green apple ones and filmed myself throwing them in the trash <laughs> while eating the other ones. And then finally, they sent me the thing where it was like, it was like their announcement and just said, we've heard you. And it was the uh, the scene of them reintroducing Lime into the thing. Took 11 years. I had no I idea did. that that was even I a did thing. It. Wow. I Congratulations. Did. Uh, I'm not, I don't, I don't necessarily eat a whole lot of candy, but my one go-to for like my entire life has been Skittles. And when they changed that, it was just like, what are you doing? <laughs> so, and that's kind of how I feel about this show. How can you end it in season six when you know there are three more seasons to go? Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah. So, so she's been posting that stuff and she looks great as always. And she's just so wonderful. And she's got so many things that she's, you know, just, you know, campaigning about and whatever else. Um, so it's just nice to like go and check and see what those guys are up to um, as well. And they all stay in contact again, which makes me think like, are you guys like really just that good of friends? Or do you just know that the show is coming back? Cause she's, she's got so many videos posted where she's talking with Wes Chatham, you know, he plays Amos, you know, or uh, she's with, um, I, just um, the two of them alone. I just want the two of them yeah, together. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, where like she's, she's She's talking with him or she's talking with uh, the actress who played Kamina Drummer or, you know, just there or they're around or they're doing something. Bobby Draper's hanging out in the background. So I'm like, come on, like, yeah. just just tell me that you're you're the, doing it right. and I'll be happy. I'll shut up. Yeah. But whatever. Um, beyond that, I have been gearing back up so I can start going and doing the uh, strongman training once again. We have I have had to, you know, slow down one because of the move and two. The weather here, as you know, it, it just sucks. It just sucks right now. Like Texas, for all, of, you know, we, we talk about how hot it is and how hot it stays pretty much year round. We do get these, you know, cold snaps and these winter storms. And it's they've been more severe lately these last couple of years than I think that they've been in, I can remember anyway. Um, but yeah, it's just, it takes everything out of it. So I've kind of had to just like wait and, you know, I'm going to have to do things a little bit differently. But uh, what I've decided to do while I'm waiting is I do, uh, like, basically just a lot of research and studying and stuff. And there's a lot of different, like, programs stuff like that that you can do for this. Mm -hmm. And so I've been investigating some of those and trying to put together things that I feel like will work for me. Because my body type doesn't really match, like, the, the standards when you... Like when you get a lot of these programs, they're all based off of people who are like between like five, three and maybe six foot. Well, I'm six, eight. So and I have a history of of working out. They like all these programs are like for beginner and intermediate level only, not someone who has, you know, years of experience either. So you really need to try to like figure out different ways to break this stuff up and make it work for you. And that has been an interesting adjustment because, you know, when I was younger, it just didn't matter. 
you know, I could just do the stuff. Now, as an older person and trying to lift, a lot of this stuff <laughs> really does matter as I'm discovering. And if I don't do it right, yeah, I can't end up hurting myself. So I'm just kind of using this this cold time as downtime mm -hmm. and uh, um, working through things that way. Right. But um, other than that, things are pretty good here. Uh, work is good. Kid is good. Family is good. We're um, excited that everything is, you know, you know, done, and we are now into the cleaning and decorating or whatever else phase of, of this. So yeah, you know, it's it's um, it's nice. But we're not here to talk about all of those things. We are here to talk about Star Trek: Deep Space Nine. Um, did you want to give the cat recap? Oh come for this on, episode? you're giving the recap. You know it already. Oh, I mean, I I did it last week. I just wanted to. I There's just too wanted many to details be sure. that we got to make sure we get mentioned. So I know your expert knowledge will come through for us. Okay. So I can do this for you. <laughs> so as he said, again, the episode that we're talking about is In Purgatory Shadow. I'm just going to hit the highlights because there is a lot to talk about and we, you know, don't have forever to talk about things. But um, the episode starts with uh, Kira Enoto, kind of a follow-up of where we were um, with uh, the Begotten. You know, we saw those two leaving at the end of that episode and now here they are together. And it's kind of like the restoration of them. Like Odo is breaking his old changeling stuff out of storage and he's putting it into his quarters and he's eliminating all the stuff from when he was a solid, you know, and, you know, we see Kira who's still wearing her modified pregnancy uniform, but clearly showing that she is no longer pregnant and just, you know, again, it's just establishing them back into our world here. And, um, um, you know, she's looking around Odo's quarters, asking him if he's excited to be, you know, a changing again. He kind of gives her a mixed uh, feelings uh, answer there, but uh, basically no big deal. Before they can really get into a lot of this discussion, um, it's Dax who calls them over uh, the communicator and tells them to come to Ops because they've picked up a message from the Gamma Quadrant. They go up to Ops. They, it's a coded message that they clearly identify as Cardassian. They can't break it. The suggestion is to send it to Bajor, where the former Resistance people can potentially do their code-cracking thing and figure it out. But Cisco's like, no, I want to know now. I, I don't want to wait. Like, do it now. And, um, you know, Odo suggests that they have someone on the station who is uh, pretty good with these codes, meaning, of course, Garrick. So um, they call up Garrick. Next scene is Garrick, Bashir, and Ziao. Yes. And they're in the replimat. And uh, so Garrick walks up to them and he says, you know, he's letting them know what, what just happened with the meeting that he had with them. Basically saying he decoded the message and it turned out to be a planetary survey. And um, he's given up. And so, oh, yeah. So Ziao questions him as to, you know, why he wasn't more excited. Could have been from that group of Cardassian soldiers who were, you know, killed or presumed dead or missing or whatever. And he says he's given up on them. He knows that they're dead. The next scene is then him sneaking away, trying to get onto a shuttle. He breaks through security with a lot of ease, which is disturbing, uh, to say the least. Yep. He gets onto a Federation shuttlecraft, which I think was his biggest blunder here. If he had decided to take pretty much any other shuttle he probably would have got away with it. But the fact that he went to a Federation one, whatever. Yeah. 
um, gets onto the shuttle only to discover that uh, Dr. Bashir is there waiting for him. And Bashir's basically like, yeah, when you said you had given up, I knew that was a lie. So I basically was stalking you and I knew that you were here. And here I am. Right. He forces Garrick to go to Cisco and tell him the truth about the message that he received. They go to Cisco's office. Cisco confront. They can. He tells them all the stuff. He's telling Cisco that the message could have only come from the much venerated Anabrantane, the former head of the Obsidian Order, and that it's a certain kind of coding situation or system that he and Tane developed. So it can only have come from Tane, and he wants to find out what's happened to him. Um, Cisco begrudgingly agrees and sends. Garrick with Worf, of all people, right. to the Gamma Quadrant to find out where this mes- this message is coming from. Now, before they leave, they does leave us with a nice little scene between Jadzia and Worf, where she's basically mad at Worf for agreeing to the mission without talking to her about it, and Worf's just kind of like, yeah, you know, I don't care. I'm, I'm going to do what I want to do, yeah. basically. Yeah. She takes his Klingon opera collection, which he seems to be more upset with, taking the, with her taking that than the fact that she was like, not going to wish him a good death or whatever. Yep. Um, Cause she had a tendency they, of misplacing things. <laughs> as he says, yes. <laughs> they embrace, uh, uh, she takes the collection and leaves. He leaves with, um, Garrick. They go into the gamma quadrant. They get pretty deep in there before Worf is like, well, it, I've, my orders were not to go too deep into the, the Gamma Quadrant into Dominion territory. So um, this is as far as I can go. Garrick suggests that they go to this nearby nebula, which, which will allow them to get much closer, but the nebula will obscure their sensor readings and so forth, so maybe they won't be spotted. Worf's a little leery, but agrees, which then turns out to be a big mistake because who's hiding in this nebula? But the freaking Dominion, of course, with their massive ships. Um, they try to beat a hasty retreat, but again, it's a runabout versus countless number of these ships that were hiding out there. They try to get a message off to the station. It's it's broken up, it's garbled, but um, something gets out. Uh, the message gets to the station and it's basically telling them that something is imminent. Right. Something regarding the Jem'Hadar is imminent. Um, um, they're taken to a uh, out-of-the-way secret holding facility where it's revealed that not only is Anabrantane there, but so is General Martok, which if you remember, the last time we, we saw Martok, or what we thought was Martok, mm-hmm. was when Cisco and company in, um, infiltrated the Klingon. Order of the Batleth. Yes that Klingon ceremony and they uncovered the change because they thought it was Galron, but it turned out to be Martok and they ended up killing the Martok changeling. Right. So we didn't know what had happened to Martok. Now we've just found out right. he's been held prisoner here all that time. And basically, yeah. And so basically the um, Klingons have been using him as like battle practice. They've been fighting him yeah. and he's all beat up and whatever Martin else. But I, you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, another surprise guest in this present facility is Dr. Bashir. Um, it's, he's wearing the old uniform from about, well, from, from earlier in season five, um, and obviously all of season four. Mm-hmm. So we're not quite sure just how long he's been, uh, a changeling. He says that he went to a conference a month ago and when he woke up, he was here right. on the, in the, 
in the prison facility. But if we backtrack through the episodes and when that uniform was last used, I mean, he could have been there for more than a month. Right. It's entirely possible because, I mean, we he that would have meant he was in the Rapture episode, that was a changeling. In the Begotten episode with the baby changeling and Odo, that was a changeling. Mm-hmm. Bashir. Um, yeah, so kind of hazy on just how long he's been um, imprisoned. Well, here. if we want to just quickly want to mention that in, uh, well, I should interrupt your recap. We can talk about this later. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah, we'll talk about that yeah. later. But anyway, yeah. so, so they talk about what the actual facility is and what it used to be. And that Tane has used this, his knowledge to tap into the old uh, communication system. And that's where they got the message out. Now Tane is dying. Odo, or not Odo, but uh, Garrick and Tane share a moment where um, Tane kind of sort of admits that Elam is his son. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't outright just say it, but he kind of like accepts the fact that Garrick is saying it. And uh, it's kind of weird, but there it is. Um, they meet up with some of the other, they're confronted by some of the other Jem'Hadar who are really excited that Worf is there because he's like a fresh Klingon and they're ready to, you know, kind of stop beating up on Martok because he's, he's failing. Um, back on the station, Gold Dukat and, and the senior officers and so forth, they discuss what the message that they got could mean. Um, Cisco is going to call for reinforcements, but um, Gold Dukat, on the other hand, has decided to basically just clear out the station. He wants his daughter to get on the transport and, and leave. He meets her outside of a Bajoran shrine and uh, wants her to go to Cardassia because he knows that the Dominion fleet is going to arrive soon, and um, she doesn't really want to go. Um, later on, we do see that... Um, when Gold Dukat goes to the docking ring to meet her, she goes there and she tells him that she's not going to be leaving. She has to stay on Deep Space Nine because she promised Garrick that she'd be waiting for him because he promised that he would return. Um, what else? We watched Tane die and that's essentially it. We're left in that kind of like a, it's a to be continued episode. Anyway, so... Oh, wait, I forgot. Yes, so they had talked about destroying the wormhole um, in their meeting with Gold Dukat. Yes, that they were were saying they were going to close it down. Um, They talked about Dr. Khan, who from that episode rejoined with... uh, with Jadzia and the other female Trill and the potential of them rejoining. Right. That's the Dr. Khan they're talking about. Yep. Has come up with a way to close the wormhole without damaging it. They're thinking about using that method. They do decide they're going to use that method because they see that the Dominion fleet is coming through. The uh, is going to come through the wormhole. They try to use it, but instead of it actually closing the wormhole, it makes it more stable. So like it had the opposite effect. And so then the wormhole opens and out comes a bajillion um, um, Jem'Hadar, uh, yeah, Jem'Hadar, Dominion ships and so forth. And they're just like, oh, crap. What are we going to do? Battle stations and and to be continued. Yes. (laughs) And that's it. That's the episode. Yeah. So yeah, those are the highlights there. Obviously, there's a lot going on in this episode. Um, we're going to talk about a lot of those things, but um, if you want to watch it, you can watch it and all other episodes of Trek, except for, of course, Prodigy, for some reason, on Paramount+. Plus. So go do that. Right. So, first-time viewer, 
what did you think of this episode? Yeah, this is a good one and definitely raises the stakes. It fe- This feels like the most important episode yet. Because, as you mentioned as before we, we were getting started, like, this has been building up for a while now. I mean, remind me, was it the... Was it the end of season two that they went to the Gamma Quadrant and found the Changelings, or was that season three? It was like end of season two, beginning of season three, I think, where uh, they, where yeah. Odo finds the home planet. I think it was the end of season two. So end of season two, and then the beginning of season three is him on his home planet, and then the revelation that the founders are his people, right. are the Dominion. Yes, that was what yeah. it was. Uh, and this is also, you know, kind of the big reveal of the true might of the Dominion. Because if you remember correctly, throughout much of the show, we've been hearing about this uh, this elusive regime in the Gamma Quadrant that has so much power. Remember, Hanik and her people, mm-hmm. when they came through, they had been subjugated. But they said that the people who had been oppressing them were wiped out by another race another group of people you know and then you know when when quark was trying to do his um his bartering exchange for the tulaberries for the tulaberry wine they even told them you know like if you want after a certain amount you have to talk with the dominion who's the dominion (laughs) you know like so we've been hearing this name like it's a great evolution of a story and a great build here especially for something televised they did a really great job with this right and i don't think i've ever seen that in other shows so um but yeah we get a lot here that just kind of like is now the full reveal Mm -hmm. we know who the leaders are we know who kind of like the the politicians are Mm -hmm. of the dominion and now we're seeing the full might the full force all these ships come pouring through the the wormhole here right um so yeah pretty um pretty awesome stuff here yeah um so one of the things that we should quickly talk about is where does this episode fall in the timeline because uh during one of the conversations it's had where cisco is talking about like we don't have a lot of ships in the area he mentions that there are a lot of threats they've had to deal with lately, including the Borg attack. Yes. So this means that this episode... So this is after First Contact. Yes. This episode... This would be... Yes, this would be the after First Contact episode. Right. Worf is back. Yeah, so the, the Federation is really kind of spread thin right now. Mm-hmm. They just had to handle the Borg and some various other minor skirmishes here or there, but the Borg were the major threat right. most recent. Right. So yeah. Yeah. This is, this is it. Right. And if we uh, consider that Dr. Bashir said he had just been, or he was kidnapped at a conference, it was back during episode four, Nor the Battle to the Strong, where Dr. Bashir and Jake Sisko go to a planet uh, to help with a Klingon attack. Um, we'll know that that, pro- that either that episode is the reference that uh, Bashir is making to when he got kidnapped, or it's probably sometime after that. But it's only been... It's probably immediately, it's probably immediately after that, because if you remember in that episode, um, they were on their way home from a conference. Right. right. And so, it, yeah, so, uh, yeah, they were on their way home from a conference when they got stopped uh, and went to that colony right and so yeah that would have been um yeah that would have been it yeah so it's he actually if if, he, if they were if he actually if he was on his way home from that conference he could have been changed he could have been captured at that conference and right. the changeling was on its way home with jake that's what i'm getting at yes 
And the reason I'm yeah. the reason I'm talking about that is because this changeling is fully committed to being Dr. Bashir. Um, when we get the reveal that Dr. Bashir is actually in the Gamma Quadrant, having been kidnapped and put on this uh, this colony, this prison colony, um, we you know flash to the station and we see the other Bashir kind of give an evil smirk before giving Dax and O'Brien some sandwiches. You know, oh, you guys are working so hard. I want to make sure you're fed well. Meanwhile, but it turns out that when the station goes to close the wormhole and it fails it's not because o'brien and dax had failed to do their work or that they got sick because the food they ate like that it wasn't a poison sandwiches something was sabotaged so the mm-hmm. o, the the dr bashir changeling has not given away anything and in fact if you didn't know that this dr bashir is actually a changeling and you didn't know that like the scenes from the Gamma Quadrant were cut and you were just watching everything on Deep Space Nine, there's nothing to indicate at any point that there's something wrong. Only the smirk. And the smirk is only important because you just found out that he's well, that's a fake. Like If you were just watching Dr. Bashir in the elevator make that smirk, he's just kind of smiling. You wouldn't really know that there's something wrong. Or that, oh, you would think something was wrong. Come on, that's like a total creeper face he's got going well, on there. Well, my point though is, is right. that <laughs> when he when he does that and gives the sandwiches, the real emphasis is we know that he's a changeling. But if you were just watching that, like you might go like, "That's kind of a weird." Like, why are we watching Doctor Bashir give sandwiches away? Like, it never gets brought up again. You know, there's no point where De- O'Brien's like, "Oh, I feel sick to my stomach and I can't do my work." Nope, that never comes up. So it's. If if Dr. Bashir was kidnapped all the way back on episode four of this season, which was literally ten episodes ago, that means that for the last nine, this changeling has been impersonating Bashir to perfection, even to the point where he knows that Garrick was lying about knowing where the uh, signal came so, from. Unless he, so as a changeling, that, he knows inside information. But yeah, so- yeah, I've given that some thought, and I think that's more along the lines of what it was like. I think that, you know, he's not necessarily in direct contact with his people all the time, right. but when the message came through, and it was clearly um, a Cardassian message from the Gamma Quadrant, he probably contacted someone and said, we got this message, you know? Possibly, and yeah. the, And the founders are really good at you know, letting things play out to a certain degree because they want, they like to try to manipulate people's plans to turn them to work for them. Right. We saw that in the episode where the Obsidian Order and the Tal Shiar were working together. They said they became aware of their plan and they just altered it to work in their favor, which then eliminated both of those two very ruthless groups. So I would assume they were doing something similar here. Right. Let it play out. Let's see who responds to what, what information we can gather, and then how we can turn this to an advantage for us, which they ended up doing because the sabotage ends up making the wormhole more stable. Is that what happens? I don't remember it becoming more stable, but maybe I just missed it. I believe that. I thought that's what they, I, I was pretty sure that's what they said at the end was that it just, that it didn't work or that it kind of stabilized the wormhole more but okay. i could be wrong there i thought that's what was said there maybe i'm mixing up a different episode maybe i just missed that line. not the point so yeah. yeah it doesn't matter the main point is that they were they failed to close they the were wormhole. unsuccessful yes they were totally unsuccessful right. in closing the wormhole they got what they wanted right um 
So what would you say would be like a um like your major your major call out in this episode? What would you say is something and what I mean by that is something that you feel like was done very well here in this episode for the for the story, for a character, just something that when you were watching you feel like, okay, that was well done. Well, I definitely think the Bashir reveal was well done for sure, because again, there's no obvious indication at any point in the last several episodes that he has been a change. Like they haven't hinted at this at all. It, 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 boom, it is there. Oh, how long has it been since Dr. Bashir had been replaced? Um, so there's, uh, I, I, I haven't read the Marvel series secret invasion and I never watched the show that recently came out. But one thing that apparently the comic books did that was really quite shocking is that, they insinuated in the comics uh, for Secret Invasion where the scrolls impersonate super, 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 certain superheroes that, like, it had been going on for a while. Like, there were certain character arcs that had happened to our characters, but it turns out it wasn't the real person that experienced them. It was someone else. Um, and then apparently in the show, there's it's not been 100% confirmed, but there's an insinuation that like Rhodey, who is you know Iron Man's Captain Rhodes, yeah, Captain yes. Rhodey. He's War Machine. He's the uh, Tony Stark's best friend. They both have suits. Like that, Rhodey was replaced all the way back in um, like Civil War, like which was before like the big End Game movie and all that. Like he's been faked for so long that he missed out on some of the big character element, like the big storylines. I don't know if that's true or not. I'm, again, I'm just speculating about what I've heard. But I think that's a fun idea. Like, yeah, you well, think this character you've been watching has been going on like a character arc, character journey. Turns out, nope, it's just some guy who's doing a really good job pretending to be him. <laughs> well, this brings to mind another series favorite of mine. And when they did their big reveal of who some people were, mm. um, Battlestar Galactica, of course. I knew it was coming. This is I when knew they... it. <laughs> Of course, of course. So when we had the reveal of who some, because the, there's always this talk of the final five Cylons, and we got the reveal of who the final four were, and um, one of them in particular just damn near broke my brain um, yeah. when it was revealed that Colonel Ty yeah. was also a Cylon. Yeah. This guy who had been so anti-Cylon had led the resistance, lost an eye because of the resistance, and been tortured and the drunkard and all the things and it turns out in reality he was a Cylon all along right. yeah man that was one of those moments I was like I just I, I remember staring it's like, yeah. that, that can't be right yep yep they got this wrong and it was like they picked they couldn't have picked better people to be revealed as these final Cylons right Colonel Ty um Chief Engineer um Chief Tyrrell yep. and uh Gosh, now I'm drawing a blank on these characters' names. Um, Sam, and then the last one was the president's assistant. Yeah. Um, who was played by, I remember the char- the actress's name, but I can't remember her character's name. Um, Rika Sharma played the character. Um, it'll come to me yeah. in a minute, like everything else always does. <laughs> but uh, yeah, because they were all in positions to be close to people who were very influential. Right. You know? With Ty being close to the old man, Rika's character being, of course, close to the president. Ty was our, our, our Tyrrell was our engineer and kind of our everyman character. The one that you were just kind of 
rooting for for different reasons, you know. And then, of course, Sam being attached to Starbuck, which who knows what Starbuck is? Is she a, is she a Cylon? Is she an angel? Is she a figment of your imagination? You know, whatever. <laughs> um, but that was also a, a, a Ronald Moore um, riding vehicle there. I'd like to think that he, you know, as he was, you know, cutting his chops. teeth here on, um, yeah, busting his chops, cutting his teeth, whatever one you want to use here on Deep Space Nine, that some of that idea was formulated um, to have a, a double agent or a triple agent. Mm -hmm. And then he just kind of took it and ran with it when he got to Battlestar. And it just, it paid off spectacularly. Yeah. So, um, hope I didn't spoil that show for anyone. I mean, it's 20 <laughs> years old, so what are you doing? Yeah. I, You're on season five, episode 14 of the Deep Space Nine podcast. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. What are you doing? That's all we, checking in. <laughs> yeah. That's all we do here is spoilers. Yeah. If you haven't watched these shows that are 20 and 30 years old, uh, you really shouldn't be here right now exactly right. Uh, we like that you are but uh, we're gonna ruin everything for you right. so maybe we should change the name of our show to uh perry and david ruin your favorite things <laughs> slowly so. and surely we'll get to them all <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, yeah i mean oh, go ahead, i love that i i no, just i'm agreeing with you i love the way that they kind of walked us up here with this bashir thing and it's kind of being like it does seem like it comes out of nowhere i mean remember there was speculation for the longest time that michael eddington was our changeling on the station yeah. and then we get thrown this huge curve and it's bashir yeah. so yeah they really liked uh messing with us here yeah. i have to say the reveal that dr bashir was uh captured on this uh prison colony like it went to, it went to commercial break right after the reveal like it didn't click for me right at first like i, I didn't even know what, I was, know what i was seeing i was like wait did he actually like sneak aboard the ship and he was on the ship with with wharf and garrick the whole time like it didn't it didn't click right at first and so it was like oh my gosh it's huge um yeah i i really am looking forward to that storyline continuing i imagine we'll have it solved by the end of next episode you know part two with, i assume wharf and garrick Excuse me, we'll come back to the station. Oh. Bring back the real Dr. Bashir. Part, part two of this episode is, like, one of my favorites. Oh, boy. We get some great stuff from <laughs> Worf and Martok in part two, and I just... Oh, man. Okay, well... Um... um yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I, uh, that's I, all I'm gonna say. I'm really looking I'm forward to say. finding out what's gonna happen. Um, but the other part, I mean, this is almost like this is kind of Garrick's episode, honestly. Uh, Garrick really takes the front uh, center stage in this episode, learning that he actually 100% is an Aubrantane's son. Big. I mean, I don't know if you were like just you know keeping me in the dark by being like, oh, we never find out anything about it. Well, I, I, yeah, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't want to. I didn't want to. Yeah. You know, spoil yeah. it because I. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, it also seems like you know he doesn't so much find out that he's Tane's son. He just wants um, it. Seems to like he knew it, it, right? He yeah. knew all along that he was Tane's son. Right. He wanted Tane to acknowledge that he was his son, right. which, you know, even when he says it the first time, Tane's like, you're not my son. Right. Like this, this sick and dying man suddenly has a lot of vigor right. to tell this other guy, yeah, you're not my kid, right. you know? And then finally he kind of acquiesces there towards the end. Right. But, um, yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. Like, I think that, um, 
this is definitely Garrick's time to shine here. Mm-hmm. We are seeing some of the truth finally with this character who has done such a great job of keeping us in the dark about his um, his past right. and his dealings. And to see that he is so invested in saving Tane, not out of some sense of mentor, mentee, kind of repaying a favor or whatever, but the, you know, the relationship of a father with his son. Right. Um, interesting way that they decided to play that out. Right. All things considered. I mean, they could have still given us the son, the father son angle. Right. And still made it more about the fact that, you know, Tane was his former spy master. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I like this. I, I, I like the odd, it's like a way they dropped in the sentimentality with the, the tension of the, of the moment. Right. Yeah. Um, Paul Dewey, I'm getting the name right. Plays, yeah. Paul Dooley, excuse me, played in Auburn Tain every time we've seen him, I believe. And yes, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, he was always a character that, like, like man, just just put a pause on Deep Space Nine. And let's go explore the the history of uh, of an Auburn Tain. Who is this secret spy master? What has he done? Yeah, you know, there's a there's a whole series of stories I'm sure we could explore. Um, oh yeah, flashbacks, oh, yeah. all of it, and. They do it. They do a great job with with Tane in uh, in all the episodes that we see him. Which I mean, isn't much. I mean, we really only see him in is it two, maybe three episodes total. I think it's just two. Well, I think it was a two parter where he went to the game. Oh, that's right. And so the episode where we first you know meet him, where you know Garrick heard about him and went and found him. And then those two episodes, this is probably the fourth episode we've seen them, but like, yeah, he's left an impression. So yeah, he definitely, he, he definitely really, you know, filled that role. He did such a great job, uh, bringing that character to life for us and making Tane such a, you know, just a a very interesting and kind of terrifying character, Mm -hmm. you know, the way they talked about the things that he got up to and the way they alluded to the things that he did as the head of the obsidian order, you know, it was just, he, he's a great, he does a great job here. And, um, even in his decline and his dying moments here, he still just is fantastic. So yeah, I I love the character of Tane. Yeah. Um, I will say I do have a slight complaint about him appearing here only in that, he seemed to be so dead <laughs> when the, well, that was when, the point. When the He's Car- dying. I, well, no, 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 I'm sorry. When the Cardassian and Romulan fleet attacked and it went so badly, it seemed like he died on the bridge of the ship he was on. There's no way he could have survived. He was a goner. And so him being revealed to, Oh, he's actually been alive for however long it's been. He's been, you know, captured in on a planet. And then also that they somehow allowed him to have enough time to find and make a transport, like a device that could communicate. Again, it's one of those things you, you let the story go because you're just letting it do its thing and get and get the plot moving. You know, you can't let you can't nitpick everything. Otherwise, you'd be bored to death because no storyline can be ever get off the ground. But I just want to say I was like, oh, I thought this character was like 110 percent dead. And it turns out. No, he was not quite yet. Now he's dead. <laughs> so okay, now he's dead. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now he's dead. Yeah. Um. So yeah, but seeing him, and then also seeing um, General um, 
what is it? Martok. Martok. Yeah, man, Martok in that episode at the beginning of the season, uh, which uh, thank you to Vincent again in the chat, Apocalypse Rising, episode one of season five. Um, yeah, uh, he's been a great character every time I've seen him. And again, the actor who plays him, uh, J.G. Hertz, Hertzler. J.G. Hertzler. I mean, yes. golly. I mean, I've said it a million times. First of all. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I just, Say it. I, the, the Klingons are great. Every time you see a Klingon, I mean, he's got his eyes all gone. He's been fighting with the with the Jim Hadar. Like Klingons are just badass, man. It's so it's always yeah. great to see him, especially a character who already has some history with our group. Because last time we saw him, he was the changeling. He was the the traitor. No, he's he was never a traitor. His reputation's been ruined because uh, he he was taken, and the only reason he hasn't killed himself in in uh in captivity is because if you have hope or if you need vengeance against your enemies and uh he's still got plenty of at least vengeance they were still enemies they were still enemies to fight so he couldn't kill himself right they were still enemies to fight yeah i would tell you martok is probably the first klingon to come on screen that i liked instantly since Worf. Yes. I mean, even with, you know, with Gowron, because Gowron came long before Next Generation, you know, but I did not warm to Gowron. Um, it, I, I don't think I really started to like Gowron even a little bit until Deep Space Nine. Mm. Um, but uh, Martuk, on the other hand, from the first moment he walked into Worf's quarters, I was like, this guy right here. Yeah. This this guy Klingons. Yeah. I don't know anybody <laughs> else. This guy Klingons. He gets it. Yeah. You know, he's and he's great. He's got a great persona, great voice. He really owns the role. And it's just like you know, you, you hear you know, obviously they're they're actors, so they you know they're trained for a lot of this stuff, but there are certain people who just really kind of like meld with the character. They really just fully flesh it out. And um some people say that's to their detriment when you can't separate the actor from the character or whatever. I don't necessarily agree with that. Um I another person that comes to mind who I feel like did that really well um was Leonard Nimoy with Spock. You know, the embodiment of the character became so interchangeable with the two that, you know, you you didn't really separate them. You know, and um, in, and Leonard Nimoy famously wrote about it mm-hmm. a lot. His struggles with being recognized as Spock and the, kind of the persona interfering with you know his real life and everything else, and how he had to make his peace with things and and so forth. Right. But I mean, he's the character and the man became legendary I- icons in our you know entertainment lexicon. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, probably one of the longest standing uh, uh, characters that we have, really. You know, mm. there are many iterations of Spock, but there will always be space for Leonard Nimoy as Spock, always. Yeah. And, um, you know, I feel like Martok as, as uh, or J.G. Hertzler as Martok, he, you know, is approaching that. Now, granted, you know, we get a lot of screen time with Leonard Nimoy that we'll never really get with, with Martok unless... I don't know, something bizarre happens in the future. But I'm just saying, for a person playing an alien character mm. to embody it so well, J.G. Uh, Herzler does an excellent job here. Yeah. And he's just such a robust character. Yeah. Loved, uh, loved seeing his portrayal here. And as I said, when we get into part two, the stuff we get from uh, him and Worf, it's going to be amazing. Oh, You'll man. See. Don't hype me up too much. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Sorry. Can't help myself. It's just, ah, I love it. Gotcha. And it's and it's stuff that also, 
uh, in true Deep Space Nine fashion, the things that we are seeing in this episode and next week's episode, of course, will reverberate through the remainder of the show. So, uh, yeah, this is another reason why I say that this episode is so important because it is the the building to everything to from now to the end. Right. Right. Yeah, looking forward to that. If, if only because you're hyping it, but yeah, I just. The Klingon race is just, like I've said before, it's just the best success story with, for me yeah. personally. Every time I for see a race, Klingon, for a race building, yeah, yes. it's you know I, I appreciate the culture, I appreciate the the kind of honor, like when when Garrick is trying to get um, Worf to go along with his plan to continue into the Gamma Quadrant, he's like, you know, it'd be honorable if we do that, and. You know, Worf says, you don't even know what that Worf's word like, means. Yeah, you don't know what that word means. And he <laughs> says, I know. Yes, yes but, but you, you do. do. Yeah, it's a great, I mean, not only is Worf, the reason Worf is Worf is because he tries to hold to the Klingon standards, uh, even when he is a kind of failing to realize that just because it's a standard doesn't mean everyone actually meets the standard. Um, oh, yeah, that, that none of the other Klingon... He tries to hold himself to a standard that none of the other Klingons really seem to hold themselves to. Yeah, well, that's like if you, the if you've point, noticed, though. he he stands apart. Like, if, if there were any, ever any Klingons that would seem to hold to the same kind of high standard that Worf does, right. it's like Kang, Kor, and Koath, and they're dead. Right, yes. So it's just like... Well, I mean, Worf is the type where, because he didn't he didn't have the chance to grow up in Klingon society. He takes all of the claims of Klingon society as fact, as opposed to maybe it's an embellishment. Maybe it's a, it's a goal. It's an ideal. It's, it's, it's somewhere to obtain, or at the very least it's, it's something that like even he himself wants to be true. And therefore he present, he, he holds it as the standard. And so, but that's, what's so great is like, Worf single-handedly is dragging the entire Klingon race and society forward into the future. <laughs> yeah, like, he is. I'm going to make this an honorable society. I'm not going to let any of their craziness uh, drag me down. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just talking, I guess. But um, yeah, when you see it, when you see characters like General Martok, you you know what the the standard should be and is amongst the best of them, and. Right. Uh, yeah, great character. I'm glad. I guess what I'm getting at is I'm glad he's not actually dead. It's fun to have him yeah. actually here. No, yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, and I think that comes from the fact that his introduction to us was so, again, you know, over the top, robust. I mean, it was it was great. And um, then the next time that we really see the character, it's him being murdered because he's a changeling right so it's just like oh well you know i kind of like that character i wish we got to see actually some more of him and then that, now we see the real him Worf. Oh, i'm sorry perry that reminds me did you just call me Worf? i did i meant to say i'm not gonna i'm not upset I, i'm not upset by this at all i said Worf. i didn't call you Worf. i said Worf. <laughs> um Worf is no, you did not known to him though in this episode right when when garrick shows no, up Worf would be known to him well, when when Garrick and Worf show up, he says, "If you're Worf, then you must be Garrick." And he and and Auburn Tain has been waiting for you. So I wonder if, oh, has General Martok been like from the very beginning a changeling, I, even in his introductory episode? Like that would be that's how I mean. Again, the changelings are supposed to embody the person they're impersonating. 
so well that you can't know the difference, but I think he might have been a changeling since we first we knew him. Uh, see, if you picked up, I, I, I must have missed that. I will have to go back and watch that scene again to see if that's what he says, because if that's the case, then you're right. Because if he, if he says, you must be Worf, that means that he did not know Worf, because he should have recognized Worf. Yeah, Worf, as you said, um, he's the one who took his uh, son's What's the what's Doc Talk? And, and he and he comes to Worf and demands to get it back. Right. And that was the first time that we know of that they met. So I can't so, imagine that he would have been uh, like, Hey, uh what's your name? <laughs> Who are you again? Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, uh I have to say I'm pleased with myself that I noticed that detail and you apparently didn't. I mean <laughs> I mean, the argument could be made that, you know, he just forgot about Worf. I mean, they met briefly, True. and then he got the sword hey, back. Hey, man, he talked he's a general. This, I wouldn't, you know, I, that's certainly possible, right. but I just feel like. Countless, countless thousands of truths. But then again, I mean, how often does a Klingon general meet another Klingon serving in Starfleet? Yes. Yeah, Worf so, doesn't blend in. I'll Worf say that stands much. out. Right. <laughs> So even if he had forgotten about him briefly, the moment that Worf showed back up or and he sees him in the in the Federation uniform, yeah. Mm-hmm. So then, yeah, that means that, yeah, Martok would have had to have been a changing the whole time. So, hmm. Crazy. Maybe it was a flub of language and he wasn't supposed to say that. I don't know, because it's not mentioned in anything. Yeah. Um, but I'll go back and watch that now, and I'll definitely be harping on it and be like, um... Someone made a mistake here. <laughs> yeah. Someone I mean, made a mistake here. Yeah, yeah. Um but yeah, the uh what's this? You asked me like what's what's what are the things that stand out? The I mean it's it's an episode that really I mean there's so much going on. You know, like there's the whole gold ducat and his daughter plot. Line. I was gonna say that that would need to be next. We yeah. should talk about that because, you know, we haven't seen much like of Gold Ducat. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's like, and Garrick, does he like her? Does he not? I mean, he, obviously Garrick is the person who keeps his feelings close to the chest. And he almost kind of, you know, well, does kind of say, like, he's just talking to her because she's the closest thing to a Cardassian on the station and he's lonely. Right. And so that's why he's, you know, spending any time with her at all right. or as she seems to be you know really growing in her affection for him and then that just also calls into question like how do cardassians age and i and, and i mean we have our own you know standards or whatever and if you want to go buy into the whole in-universe thing you shouldn't judge one culture by another or whatever but still it's like garrick and gold ducat used to work together and they worked together for a long time mm-hmm. um He's significantly older than her. Right. And yet, there doesn't seem to be an issue with them doing whatever it is they're doing. Right. And even and even Goldukat says she's in love with him. She's in love with Garrick. Right. And so he recognizes it. He tries to kill Garrick for it. Um, but yeah, I mean... Yeah, he didn't try very hard <laughs> to kill him. Yeah, it's true. He didn't... He, I mean, like... he grabbed him and had him all bent over the... Railing there, he could have just let his hand go, yeah. and he would have fallen over. Oh, it helped my but... back feels better now after that. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but the real question is: Is Garrick? Yeah, does Garrick actually care about her, or is he just leading her on, or is he just trying to like put Gold Ducat's nose in it? Like, ah, I know your daughter. And she 
she likes me on some level, even if it's only platonic. She she at least uh, is my friend. Um, and Gold Dukat is so blinded by hate that he accuses Kira of intentionally like allowing it slash encouraging the relationship. Yeah, which doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, Kira does have a legitimate point. Like, I'm not trying to control her life. I don't think her getting to know Garrick is actually a good thing in the first place. I personally wouldn't recommend it. But I'm not going to like police her relationships, and it's legitimate that she would want to know another Cardassian. Um, meanwhile, Gold Ducat's like, "You've betrayed me for the last time." <laughs> it's like, Gold Ducat, oh, buddy boy. <laughs> let's, let's take Gold Ducat's Gold Ducat's <laughs> whole attitude in this episode is just strange. You know, he is kind of unconcerned about the Dominion. He is more focused on Zial and Garrick than anything else. And yeah, when, when he realizes he's not going to get his way with her, he threatens Kira. And it's just like, he's like, you've betrayed me. For the last. And he's like, he's really just odd in this episode. So I just, um, I like when he's around because he's such a great person to focus your hatred on Mm -hmm. you know and it's like just when you think he's going to turn the corner and be sort of better Mm -hmm. he does something yeah and messes it up yeah you know and you're just like you know just yeah and it's different from the way you kind of righteously hate kai win for example right you know because she's just awful from the get-go whereas he just like i said he does just enough to where you can almost see his point of view and then he steps way over the line well like i could get it as a father not wanting his daughter to be hanging around with this known killer spy master whatever but then he's like threatening kira of all of all people and yeah. goes off half cocked and tries to, and he's th- throwing him out of the chair and over the back. Like all that was unnecessary. Yeah. Well, you know, it's just like, mm. the thing about Goldicott's character is he's a character who like takes like a step or two down a redemption arc. And then he's like, gets cold feet. He's like, nah, yeah. I'm not doing that. No, thanks. Kai Wynn has actually been on a redemption arc lately you know in the last episode we saw her she was like okay looks like cisco actually is the emissary and i should you know humble myself to that fact like okay all right kaiwin you know she has her own courage as we remember you know i had to you know survive the prison camps as she said so yeah the two characters have have <laughs> gone down redemption arcs a little bit gold ducat being like like multiple times like like eh, nope not nope <laughs> feels feels weird over here. Yeah, I'm gonna go back. Yeah. Go back over here. Yeah, it's nice and warm over here. Yeah. The hellfires keep so me going. It's so funny because I mean the big problem for him is it's always Garrick. You know, Garrick's the one who got to know my daughter, and therefore I'm betrayed. And then he walks away from his own daughter. You know, he demands that she get on this ship to Cardassia because the Dominion is about to invade, and she says no. And, you know, first off, she's like, I'm not a soldier. You can't just order me around. He's like, yeah, you're my daughter. I totally can. Uh, and then she's like, well, I'm staying. And he's like, you're staying for Garrick? I, he's basically like, I disown you. <laughs> she's like, uh, okay. <laughs> but I, it's all this to say her position is very interesting. Does Garrick like her? Is there something there? Is it just him being the spy master who just manipulates to manipulate? Frankly, I think that's honestly the most likely explanation. 
Uh, as we saw when yeah. he talks with Worf, you know, he's, he's having a conversation with Worf. He's pretending he wants to apply to Starfleet. And Worf eventually says, you don't actually want to join Starfleet, do you? He's like, nope, I was just practicing my lying. You know, my, my lying skills always need to polish up. You got to gotta make yeah. sure you're working on it. On lying, lying is a skill like any other, yeah. you know? That's what he says, yeah, yeah. you know? So, yeah, he's... um Again, Vincent in the chat, lying is a skill like any other. And if you want to maintain a level of excellence, you have to practice constantly. Yeah, yeah. Again, Garrick's fun character because he's so committed to being this utterly duplicitous person. Like, openly yeah. duplicitous. Like, it's so... It's like Jumbo Shrimp. Like, how can he be openly duplicitous? But he manages it. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, But then the other question really is, is um, where does Zial, where does she land in in terms of Gold Ducat, Kira, Garrick? Uh, She is a character that could really tie all three of them together and make, make, we we could have a storyline where she is, in danger, some damsel in distress type situation, the three of them have to go save her. So I'd be curious to see something like that happen. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, it's not going to happen. Okay. All right. Well. Sorry. Star Trek is notorious for not doing well by the children. Um, yeah. I think D Space Nine, D Space Nine does the best job that we've seen well, so far of trying to integrate children Jake into and the story. Both are doing but even. Well. But even then, it's like most of their development is off screen. Yeah. You know, like we get them to a certain point and then they have to be gone for a while, yeah. you know. Um, I don't know so if yeah, Alexander um, has been mentioned by name. I mean, I'm sure he has at least once, but I don't remember when it was that Alexander was even mentioned in Deep Space Nine. Warf he was a... mentioned in the first he was mentioned in the first episode when Warf appears. Yeah. But it's just a quick mention and it's a little picture he's got, but then that's it. He's he hasn't been mentioned since. Yeah. So, yeah. Now, granted, I mean, that was only season four. We're just now in season five. Yeah. There's time. But still, yeah, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of... Uh, Star Trek though, doesn't like kids much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Wesley. Wesley was, I guess, another interesting case. But, um, yeah, so we have uh, Worf and Dax have their little tiff. And, again, I'm, uh, I, just, I want a moment where I feel like the two of them are actually enjoying each other's company as opposed to arguing slash passionately lovemaking. Like it feels like that's just all it is. They passionately kiss when they go about their separate ways. Yeah. They, they try to make it seem like, you know, she's always teasing him and he's always begrudgingly accepting the teasing. Right. Um, that's kind of the way they try to play their relationship. Yeah. You know? I just, she's always trying to, you know, poke the bear a bit and right. he's just 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 shy of you know blowing up yeah well that's i mean i have to say i feel a little bummed out by that because i feel like i mean i like teasing i tease my roommates all the time i don't mind being teased and i feel like if you're in a relationship with someone who can't reciprocate like they don't appreciate it and they don't do it in return like it's just a bummer but i also like Worf as a character and as a person so i do want him to be in a relationship with someone who like gets him I feel like he and Dax, quite frankly, aren't quite jiving yet. I mean, maybe they will later uh, on, but we'll find I like, out. I like them. I like them together. I like the way that she kind of, you know, does try to get his goat a bit. And then he's always, like, you're never quite sure when he's being serious. Oh, and so there's when, a when whole he turns scene things, about that we need to talk yeah, about. Yeah, when he turns things around on her a little bit every so often, it's always really funny because you're just not expecting it. Right. And it just shows the kind of the 
the well the depths of his character. Right. But go ahead. Scene you wanted to talk about there. Well, you said, you know, it was worth joking. I mean, uh Cisco is talking to Worf before Key and Garrett go in the runabout. Yes. He says He says, At the first sign of trouble I will kill him, <laughs> but <laughs> Yeah. And Cisco's like, I hope you're joking and he says We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> it's great because he's not, but he is, but he isn't. Oh. No. Oh man, it's it's. I laughed out loud pretty hard in that moment because yeah, yes. Worf doesn't joke, which is why him not joking is funny because like that's literally what would happen. <laughs> I mean, really, have if Garrick and Worf ever fought? I would be very curious to see how that goes because we know Worf would try and do the honorable thing, and Garrick would go for the. You know, go for the jugular, go go underhanded. Um, it'd be a fun fight to see. I don't know if we'll ever see it, but yeah. he says, "At the first sign of betrayal, I will kill him." But I promise to return the body intact. That's what he says. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, great line! Because he totally there, uh, means yeah. it. He totally means yes. it. Oh. oh my goodness. And I, I do love, as Vincent just pointed out here for us as well, um, Worf living on the Defiant. You know, that's where Dazia goes to confront him about his um, uh, taking the mission uh-huh. without telling her he's in the Defiant instead of being on the station. Everybody else has these nice, large Cardassian quarters, and this man is in a bunk yeah. on the Defiant in this small-ass you know, cramped room. Absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. He, he's so tall, so brawny, and here he is in this small, cramped room. How does he not have claustrophobia staying in a place like that? Like, even his quarters on the Enterprise were bigger than what he's staying in on the Defiant, so we can't even say, like, he's just more comfortable because it's the way his Starfleet quarters were or whatever else. It's not. He had all kinds of space on the Enterprise, right. and now he's just cut himself down to a closet, basically, right. to to stay in. Right. Ridiculous. Yeah. Well, is there anything else that you would like to say about this episode before we end? I mean, this is a nice preamble, but obviously a lot of our action and resolution is in the part two, so not much that we can say about how that goes down yet. But anything else that stands out to you about this episode? I feel like we've hit on every major thing to talk about. Have we missed anything? Is there... No, I think we've pretty much got it without going too overboard and hitting any spoilers. (laughs) So... um... (laughs) Had to quiet down the chat room there a little bit, you know. Um, uh, try not to spoil anything for any first-time watchers like yourself, David, and <laughs> anyone else who may be joining us along the way. Yeah. Well, in that case, that's going to do it for us tonight. As always, you can find us and follow us anywhere you happen to do your social medias. Um, You can also listen to us anywhere you happen to listen to podcasts. I do it on Spotify. So until next week, guys, take care of yourselves. Thanks, guys.